Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 30 of Authors on the Podcast Talking Books. I'm your host, David Walters. Today I have the pleasure of chatting with author Mike Shackle. Originally from London, Mike has wandered the world before settling in Vancouver with his wife and two children. His other constant traveling companions around the globe have been his comic books, his favorite fantasy novels, and an army of superhero statues. He more often than not can be found daydreaming over a cup of tea. Mike is represented by Robert Dinsdale of the Independent Literary Agency, but without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Mike Shackle. Hello, how are you? Doing good. How are you doing? Really good, thank you very much. Good, in this good. crazy world that we find ourselves in. <laughs> I know it's 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 a world we find ourselves in, but we can definitely uh, journey into a book to kind of get away from it for a little while. Yeah, I've actually been reading some of my old sort of favourites um, recently, just after kind of comfort reads more than anything else. Um, just because I think you need a bit of stuff that you're used to while everything else gets turned upside down. <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, uh, I've been uh, I've been trying to catch up because I I don't know why I decided to do this. I mean, I kind of know because of this whole like everybody's at home, people need things to do, people need things to distract them. So I was like, you know, I'm going to see how many podcasts I can do in like the month of April. And I think I have like nine in the next two weeks. And I'm like, I I don't know if that was a good idea. <laughs> but I'm like, at the same time, like I, I can probably release them you know, the next day like I normally do. And people are just going to have to get to them when they can. But knowing that I'm going to have a, you know, a daughter in June, I'm like, I don't know what this is going to look like after then. So I'm like, I'm just going to get as many episodes as I can out now. And then we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you need to bank a few for because uh, your life really is going to turn upside down when that baby turns up. Yeah, I know. That's, that's what my wife says. She's like, oh, you just need to like, you know, re- give them a few days to release. I'm like, but some of them like they have books coming out within like days after reports. So I'm like, I've got to get those out. But you know, like I I was going to talk with Nicholas Eames in May, and. Uh, I posted something on social media the other day and he goes, Oh man, I'm ready too. And I go, do you just want to go ahead and do it now? And he goes, absolutely. And I go, well, crap. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I, I think, I think it's going to be good, but yeah, it's, 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 so I'm, I'm basically having to, to kind of catch up on reading because I've been kind of behind here pretty recently with this new job change and everything. So I'm catching up on like John Scobrin's new novel. He's got coming out because I'm chatting with him in like three days. So I'm like, I've got to at least read half of it. And then, uh, you know, I've got Max Berry, I think, coming on on Wednesday. We're talking about his new book, Providence, which I haven't even cracked open yet. So it's just it's just a lot of balls being juggled right now. <laughs> Wait, you're doing a very good job of it. Oh, I appreciate so. it. Because <laughs> I feel like I have no idea what I'm doing. No, um, but uh, so no, all right. I, don't th- I don't think that changes no matter what you do, <laughs> whether it's work, parenthood podcast writing we're all winging it is that is that, is that just life in general is just winging <laughs> it or, or maybe that's just my life I don't know. <laughs> all right so um so tell me a little bit about yourself um, i know we've known each other just a very short while on social media and um you know i've, I've kind of seen your life through instagram and through twitter but um i wanted to kind of know about your life growing up about your traveling and uh, kind of how you got to where you are today uh, by winging it. By winging it. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I grew up just outside of London. Um, I, I went to this really awful private all-boys school, which I hated. I, I was the the long-haired geek that liked drawing superheroes and reading comic books and fantasy books and 
didn't fit in there at all. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I loved all that sort of stuff. And from a very early age, I was into Marvel comics and I had a, my grandmother was this wonderful lady and she had this bookcase. I remember it vividly at the top of the stairs of her house. And she had, um, John Carter of Mars series and Tarzan and all these kind of books that she kept giving me when I was, I was very young um to read but they just blew my mind and she took me to see star wars um when that came out and and that really i basically stopped growing up as a human being at the age of seven or eight or whenever it was when star wars came out because <laughs> um, all those things I, I love then i still love now uh and influence everything that i do i gotcha um so what sort of work uh were you in prior to writing like did you did you have did you have some crazy jobs you know growing up through school and so forth or yeah I mean, I, like, I I left school at eighteen um, and in the UK you did these things called A levels and I did English history and art and I I left and had no idea what I wanted to do and I, I sold I worked in a, a shop selling washing machines for a couple of years um, and then I I left there and I was working in a bar and then I got a job for a catering company that, that did the queen's garden parties and the prime minister's um, catering and all, all that very high end um, side of things. And um, I did that for two years, two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and, and that was really great fun because it'd be, you're working seven days a week, um, 12, 14 hours a day um, in all these amazing places all over the country um, and then one summer I was driving into work and I fell asleep because I probably only had about two hours sleep the night before. Uh, and I took out two stationary cars, smashed my spine up, nearly killed myself um, and all that kind of good stuff. And I, I couldn't walk for going on about two months. and I was off work for six months. Um, and, and while I was, I was kind of... <clears throat> Put himself together. I decided I was going to go off to Hong Kong and go there for a year and have some fun because um, I had some friends out there and I'd, I'd been there for a holiday before. Um, and I went out there and I just loved the place. And there was a, a magic and a freedom to the city then. And they were give, I always said they were giving out jobs at the airport. Um, you get off the plane, and I always wanted to be a graphic designer, so. I got a job within a couple of days as a graphic designer with no experience, no training, no knowledge, and I winged it. You know, I remember sitting there with an instruction book underneath my desk of how to use the computer software. Um, you know, just terrible stuff. And, uh, and I was working on some PC programs. And I was going for other jobs, and they they wanted me to use a Mac and Photoshop and things like that, and I didn't know how to do it. And then one of the people I worked for set up his own business and, and got me to go with him. And I got him to hire, buy me a Mac. So this poor guy was putting all his life savings into um, this business. And he, he hired someone, bought a load of equipment I had no idea how to use. Um, but again, I, I winged it and, and, and that was that. That's how I got started off in graphic design and advertising. Um, and I ended up staying in Hong Kong for seven years and just having a wild, crazy time. Um, uh, and then it, then I went from there to Singapore 
um, and ended up staying there for nine years. And I worked for like the biggest ad agency there. I was doing stuff with Coca-Cola and um, Chevron Texaco and Unilever and all these massive brands. Um, and yeah, suddenly I was making TV commercials and again, everything else I had no training or knowledge of, but, um, I was sort of working out as I went along. Interesting. <laughs> Sounds like you've led a pretty interesting life. Yeah, no, I'm like, I, I, if, if someone had told me that, you know, by the time I'm the age now that I would have, you know, lived in Hong Kong, Singapore, um, Beijing, New York the Middle East and, and now Canada and done all the things I've done. I've, I would have thought I'd won the lottery. You know, I've, I've had a very lucky, lucky life that I've really enjoyed. And, um, you know, it's been a gift. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, do you still, um, I guess, do you still do graphic design work or are you, a, are you a what, 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 now? <laughs> so I, I, I started off as a, I became as graphic designer and then, um, I moved when I moved into advertising. They call it art direction, where you, it's all about coming up with ideas and whether it's digital stuff, whether it's film, print, whatever. And you know, I, I did some amazing TV shoots for Hollywood directors, and you know, you know, they cost three million pounds and things like that. And that, that's crazy. But then I was living in um, Beijing, um, and I was a creative director, and I was running the agency. Um, and I just happened, to, I, I, I just ended up writing. Um, I started writing in my day job, writing headlines and copy and film scripts and things like that. And then um, in my spare time, I'd always wanted to write a book. Um, and I met my wife and we were going out together and I was probably moaning about wanting to write and never getting time to do it. And she just said, well, you obviously don't want to do it then. Because <laughs> um, if you did, you'd find the time, right? Uh, you know, and it was one of those really great perceptive things, which are obvious to everyone. Um, but I, and I think maybe because I'd, I'd met her, and I wasn't now then going out running around nightclubs like an idiot. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I had a bit more time to devote to the arts. So yeah, I, I started getting up at five in the morning and, and writing um, a book and. During the day, I was doing more writing in the day job as well. So I still do all of it. I now, I, I still art direct um, and I, I write during the day job, which I, I love and is fantastic. But then I have the the writing of the books around the edges of that as well. It means my days are very long. I um, imagine. Fact, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a, a lot of words go throughout your day too. <laughs> yeah, well, and if you throw in two crazy kids and, you know, trying to maintain a relationship with everyone else. It's, uh, it's full on, but I, it, it all comes down to priorities. You know, I, I get up very early and I write from five to seven and I write at my lunch hours. Um, if I can get a seat on the train home, I'll be writing then. Um, but, and everything else. I mean, I, it takes me forever to see a series on Netflix now because I literally have about an hour maybe to watch TV after the kids have gone to bed. And I feel like I don't have time to freaking watch Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. Speaking of which, yeah. So I've, um, I was, you know, I'm working from home been doing this for about a week and a half now. And, uh, I finally actually like was like, okay, I, I can't listen to audiobooks right now. Cause like work's just not allowing me to do it. 
And so uh, I had to figure out what this whole uh, Tiger King craze was on Netflix. <laughs> uh, do not get sucked into that. It is huh? it is the craziest, weirdest, most insane thing I have ever seen in my life, and I can't stop watching it. I think I'm four episodes in now. Uh it's freaking nuts. <laughs> yeah, I, I am looking forward to, to watching that. We're Don't watch it with your kids. Do not watch it with your kids. Your your wife might never want want to watch it. I don't know what her tastes are, but <laughs> I, I told I told my wife I was like, you do not want to watch this. I promise. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, I don't know. It's it's one of those things where uh, I mean, even being home for the past couple of weeks, like we haven't really watched a whole lot of TV. Uh, we keep talking about, you know, catching up on series and all this stuff. And I'm like, I mean, work's taking up the entire day. And then at the time of that, my wife's like, let's take the dogs for a walk. And then when you're done with that, it's like, you know, we got to eat. And then when we're done, I'm like, you know, I got to get up and work tomorrow. It's like, it's time to go to bed. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's – and it's strange because I, I'm not commuting, obviously, at the moment. So that's three hours of my day I have back. But just trying to get a normal schedule – um, into your life where you can get stuff done is is being quite difficult at the moment. I must admit. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 odd. I mean, I know everybody's schedules have been thrown off, and people are like, "Oh, you've had time to figure it out." I'm like, "No, not really. <laughs> I don't know if I ever will." Um, so so uh, balancing work life, writing life. Um, where do you typically find yourself writing your novels? Uh, <laughs> I, 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 no, well, look, I, I think in a perfect world, I've got a lovely office set up here with a really nice comfy chair and that's my favorite place to write, but I can write anywhere because you've got to find the time to get it done. So if it's on a crowded train, writing on an iPad, I can do that. I've, I've sat at soft play centers while my kids have been running around and written there. You know, yesterday I had to get some writing done and I I had headphones on and I ended up pulling up the, the hood of my, my top over my head just to cut out the, the peripheral view of my kids running around <laughs> just so I could concentrate. But you, you, you've got to find the, find the headspace to do it more than anything else and blank out the other distractions. I would imagine that's near impossible. And somehow you manage it. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, but I'm so I'm tight. It's about being time poor, isn't it? You know, it's yeah. if I if I waited for the perfect opportunity, nothing would get done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd rather make some progress rather than none. Yeah. Um, you know, I think you know when my son was born, I used to do the the four a.m. feed so my wife could sleep, and um, I'd just start writing then. Um, and I love the early mornings. I, I love the peace and quiet of a dark house and you wake up and you, I feel the most alert that, that I possibly ever am during the day. Um, and that's when I, I get the best writing done is, is that kind of five, to seven, five to eight time before everyone else is about. Yeah, I got you. That's, that's kind of the same for me. I mean, uh, you know, we're, we're used to, you know, when she was going into work, she would have to leave probably around six thirty, So we'd be up at like five, but now with her working from home, I wake up at about 630 because I can start my, my day at about seven as far as work goes. But yeah, it's that peace and quiet. You get up with your coffee and like I, I feel like I am the most in the zone at that time. And so I get 
all this stuff done. And as the day progresses, <laughs> I just go, I, I, I've got nothing left. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's funny. Like, I, I find writing late at night really difficult because my brain's completely much. But that's when I kind of do other things like drawing and things like that because that I find is just my brain turned off um, and that I find more therapeutic and uh, relaxing. Yeah. I got you. Um, so what, uh, tell me a little bit about your writing process. Do you, uh, do you plot everything out for your books? Do you write by the seat, you know, fly by the seat of your pants for some of it? Does it depend on the scene, the characters or? Yeah. Well, the, 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 the first time, um, I started writing a book, I didn't have a clue what I was doing and it took me two and a half years to write. And I got three quarters of the way through when I realized I didn't have any female characters in it and just, I think you just and I, and I was making up as I went along and had to rewrite huge amounts of it. And you, each time it gets better, and I get more organised and, and a stronger grasp of what I'm doing. I, I now plan um, or try to plan, um, and I, I think my notes normally about twelve, fifteen pages of the main story beats and structure. But I still like that wonderful moment of, of when you're in the story and stuff happens. Um, that takes you completely by surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what was interesting was I'd, I'd written three books before I wrote We Are the Dead, and I'd had really good rejections from agents where they'd requested the full book and said nice things about them, um, but eventually passed on them for whatever reasons. And I, I got really, really down about the whole writing thing, thinking I was never going to make that next step up. Um, and I was listening to another podcast actually called the bestseller experiment named for you joe abcrombie and and he said you know typical abcrombie quote that the the longer you dance naked in the rain the better the chance you get of being hit by lightning Uh, and i I realized that the only way i could guarantee never being published was to give up Mm -hmm. um and i reminded myself that i like writing because i like telling the stories so that, then I, I sat down and I've, I've still got a piece of paper somewhere and it, I just wrote down all the things that I really loved reading about um, and the kind of stories I liked. Um, and then it, 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 this was probably November 2016. Um, you know, and a couple of major events happened that year in the UK and the US. And I remember sitting there thinking it felt like the bad guys had won. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I couldn't see any heroes that were appearing on the horizon that were going to come and save the day, you know. Mm-hmm. And being a typical fancy fan, that's what you're used to, isn't it? You know, the Dark Overlord turns up, and suddenly mm-hmm. Logan Nine Fingers is there, or Aragon, or whoever it is, and everything works out all right. And I and it just got me thinking. I suddenly thought that'd be a really lovely um, scenario for a fancy book, and it felt different and and fresh and, and from that point we are the dead actually came together quite quickly i, I had a a good outline over a, a week and then the, the whole book was written in six months in quite a flurry of excitement raw energy and everything else um but, and it was just a joy to write after being in this kind of dark place beforehand um what a I guess who, who are some of your influences uh, in your writing or who, you know, did you read growing up that sort of influenced you to, to want to write? I, I, I read everything that you could get hold of from 
you know, addicted to Jack Kirby and and the Fantastic Four and the X-Men and all that kind of crazy stuff to Edgar Rice Burroughs to Enid Blyton to Agatha Christie to literally everything. And, and I remember devouring Michael Moorcock books and Elric of, um, and I can never pronounce it properly, Melbourne. Uh, but anyway, the Elric books and Hawk's Moon and all those kind of crazy stuff that he wrote um, and Starship Troopers. And I, I literally just, I'd, I'd go on a holiday with my parents and I'd have at least a book a day to read. Because um, that's all I all I did was read and draw comics and and everything else. And I kind of went off fancy for a while and then I discovered a omnibus edition of David Gemmell's um, work with legend um, and a couple of other books in it. And, and that got me hooked again. Mm-hmm. I just, I love that. And I, I raced through everything that he'd written. Um, and then the, the book that really did it to me, and it's still my all time favorite is Peter Brett's The Warded Man. Okay. Um, and I, I don't even know why I bought that apart from I like the cover, you know, as a typical hooded man, looking mysterious on a cover um and that it just felt like someone had written a book just for me it had everything i, I loved in it um and from there that led to java crombie scott lynch uh patrick rothfuss george martin all, all the all the giants that we all love um and my addiction to fancy just grew more and more I got you. Yeah, all, all the people that uh, anytime somebody needs a recommendation, they're the first names at the top of the board. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's a reason for that because they're yeah. they're real masters of their craft. Absolutely. Yeah, I uh, I have to admit I I have not read any of any of Brett's stuff. Um, so uh, we'll go ahead and strike we'll go ahead and strike one for me on that one. Um, <laughs> I, even though I have all of his novels, I, I haven't read him, and I haven't read Scott at lunch either. So strike two. Gosh, I'm I'm not doing really well right now. Um, but uh, I I did read the first Law trilogy, so at least I've got that going for me. Um, oh, <laughs> I mean, again, those books blew me away. I'm a I'm a huge Abercrombie fan. It's it's really funny. But I was living in New York ten years ago, and he was at the Comic Con doing a signing, and uh, so I went down there and I took my wife along, and. Um, and she's like, why are you so nervous? I'm like, I'm not nervous. I'm not nervous. Uh, and um, say the signing started at 2 o'clock. I had to be there at 2 because I thought there was going to be this massive queue of people that I was going to have to join. And I turn up there and there's no one <laughs> apart from Joe Crombie sitting there. <laughs> so I walk up. I'm like, oh, could you sign my book? And he, and he looks at me. He goes, oh, you don't sound like you're from New York. He said, oh, I went, no, no, I'm British like you. And he said, signs the book. And I just took it off him, and I said thanks, and just walked off. And I left my wife standing there, and and he he looked at her and he said, uh, "I would have talked to him." <laughs> and uh, she said, "I'm really sorry. It's just so embarrassing." <laughs> um, and that was that. But you know, and then last year I was on a panel with him, which was amazing. So uh, it was good. Uh, I hope you I hope you rehash that story with him, so he got a good laugh out of it. <laughs> No, but again, it's one I, you know, and I, I want to go through life appreciating how lucky I am. But I, I was at Glance Fest, and there are all these amazing authors there that I, I just love, you know. And I was, I was in the, 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 the room at the back of the, the hall, and 
Joe was there chatting and Ben Aronovich and um, Garth Nix. And I, I just sat there just looking around me with this big grin on my face, um, wondering how the hell I'd got in there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like uh, I went to an event in November of last year and um, had authors like Robert McCammon and uh, Nathan Boundgrude and Andy Davidson and some like other horror and noir writers. And uh, my dad had been, uh, I basically got him hooked on McCammon last year. And so he had pretty much read, I think everything he had written up to the point of maybe like the listener. And I was like, dad, you know, you've got to go to this event with me. I know you've been reading a lot of McCammon. Da, da, da. And I don't know if I've ever fanboyed as much as my dad did meeting McCammon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, you know, it was awesome meeting Nathan. It was awesome meeting Andy and, and it was great meeting Robert. But like my dad was in there good. You know, I've read this one and I've read this one, and oh my gosh, this was so good, and they're also different. And I'm just like, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's in all of us. Yeah, there'll always be someone that will get you going. So yeah, exactly, anyway. exactly, and, and that's and that's kind of why I wanted to do the do the podcast. I mean, it's it's obviously not a face to face. I mean, it could be if if I decided to get a camera for my computer, um, you know, and it, and it's not you know in person handshakes and stuff, but it's a it's an opportunity you know, that I don't get just sending a tweet out or sending it, you know, a picture on Instagram and going, you know, I got to talk to this guy or I got to talk to this girl. And that was awesome. But it's just, you know, it's like I can actually sit there and physically speak to the person that I've read their book and I've gushed about it and I've loved it. And I'll scream it from the rooftops as, until, you know, I get blocked or something on Twitter. So. <laughs> Uh, you, know, you can't do enough of that I, th I think no, and I think that's the great thing about the book community is we all started off because we're passionate readers and we love stories and when we re read a great book we want to tell everyone about it and share that experience because uh, it's uh, and I, I love that I, I come from a very um, backstabby business in advertising you know everyone's kind of cl trying to climb over everyone else and it's really nice being amongst people that just want to support and encourage and cheerlead yeah. you know like you know P peter mclean's been amazing um supporter of mine and getting the word out on we are the dead uh, you know i love his books as well i think priest of lies and, uh, and priest of bones are just fantastic fantastic books um but and I, I think it's good that community is just amazing yeah, it really is. And yeah, and, and I have to give props to Peter because uh, he's actually the reason that uh, I was like super excited about We Are the Dead because I remember he posted, uh, I guess, the cover of it maybe on Facebook or on Twitter one day and I uh, was talking, you know, ranting and raving about it. I'm like, okay, I got I to gotta check this out. And uh, so I just started following you and I was like, okay, eventually this is going to hit the US. <laughs> And, uh, and, you know, luck luckily enough, you know, you and I were able to connect on Instagram and, and you sent me a copy and yeah, it was just, uh, it was just aces from there. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, and again, it's a weird process because you, you sign a contract and you sell this book and it takes, you know, a year or 18 months for it then to come out in the world. And you know, it's going to be a book and you know, people are going to be reading it, but there's that kind of rush and fear, rush of excitement and fear when you realize people are actually reading your book. Um, and I remember Peter sort of posted a picture of We Are the Dead, and I was like, oh, my God, he's reading it. You know, what, what if he thinks it's awful? Um, and, and then he wrote this amazing review, which just blew my mind. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's see, that's like you know, we I've got like a little um like group chat on Twitter with just some of the other big blogs, you know, like Novel Notions and Whispers and Wonder and uh, a few others. And um, like I, you know, somebody will like say a book and be like, oh my gosh, I can't wait for that. Da, 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 da. And the next thing you know, it's like, but what if it's not any good and you've been like craving it this entire time? I go, I just won't tell anybody. <laughs> but if it's really good, you're going to be the first to know, kind of thing. So. Yeah, but but again, that's the great thing about books. You know, like every, everyone likes different things. There's some quite major books that people really, really love, mm-hmm. uh, and, and authors that are incredible. And I I can't get past page one of what they write, and it's it's just you know different things for different folks and everything. But that that's great. That's what I love about it. All. Yeah, exactly. All right, so uh, obviously the main reason I wanted to have you on besides learning about your life and uh, gushing over Joe Abercrombie and completely ignoring him when you could have had a conversation with him, um, we want to talk about We Are the Dead. So We Are the Dead, which is uh, book one of The Last War. Uh, it's currently available in ebook and paperback outside of the U.S., and it's currently available in ebook in the U.S. with a paperback release on May 5th. And on top of that, it's actually on a little bit of a discount in the U.S. on Amazon. It's only $4.99 for the ebook, and I highly suggest anybody that's listening go out and buy it now and read it because you're going to friggin' love it. Um, but I want to know, uh, because I've already read it, but I want, I want the audience to hear it. I want you to sell me on We Are the Dead and why I should read it. So the, 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 the pitch I came up with right at the beginning of writing, and it never changed all the way through, it was really simple. The war's over. The bad guys are won. All the heroes are dead. What are you going to do? And this is a, a tale of a, a coward, um, a crippled soldier, a teenage psychopath, a, and a single mother just trying to get by and survive in terrible situation. And, you know, and sometimes doing the right thing um is the hardest thing in the world to do okay i like it i like it you know when you start off with war it helps a little bit <laughs> yeah I, you know i i i, it, I and i think it's it's um peter mcclain described it as tarantino's inglorious bastards mixed with um david gemmel and it, it's very much that it was influenced by um france under occupation in world war Two. Um, so the, the bad guys have got their soldiers walking the streets and people are under curfew and people disappear and things like that. Um, and I kind of mix that together with quite a bit of Japanese and Chinese um, culture. Mm. So there, there's a huge sort of samurai influence to it. And the, 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 the soldiers of the good guys called the Shulka, um, who we are the dead, is part of their prayer. Um, they have a prayer where they they basically accept they're already dead, so they can go into battle and not fear losing, not fear dying. Um, and they've been these amazing warriors for eight hundred years or so, um, and then suddenly their traditional enemies turn up, um, and now they're better organised, better armed, and they have magic and monsters at their command, um, and they basically conquer the country in a day um in the most brutal way and, and that's the opening three or four chapters is just that night of the invasion um, when everyone's worlds get turned upside down um, and then it fast forwards six months 
Um, and we follow a girl called Tinstra, who's the daughter of one of the most famous generals, um, except she's a, a complete coward. Um, and she gets drawn into a plot to try and turn the tide of the war. Yeah, and speaking, speaking of the first four chapters, I actually said in my review that they're some of the best I've ever read. And uh, and, and I, I still say that today. I mean, that, that like hooked me so early on to read the entirety of the novel like as quickly as I could. And in my review, I said, it's a captivating, heart-rending bout of epic fantasy greatness. I said, Shackle has written one of the best debuts I've ever read, and it's perfect for fans of Joe Abercrombie, who we've mentioned, John Gwynn and Ed McDonald. And if you enjoy fantasy with grimdark elements, redeemable characters, distorted magic, and explosive action, this is an ideal starting point. I kind of feel like that sums it up pretty well. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. Did I ever send you the check for right now? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Have a... <laughs> no, it, it, I mean, again, it's funny. It's I, I, I tried writing something that would be realistic um, and trying to get real people in the, the, these awful situations to see how they, they would respond. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't realize it was probably as dark as it was. I, I sent an early copy to my, my father to read, and he's read everything I've written before. And he, he got, uh, I think, to the first chapter with Darius, who's one of the bad guys. Um, and he, he rang me up and he said, are you all right? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, is there anything you need to talk to me about? This is a bit... Bit too dark, <laughs> but, but again, Dar- Darius, who's uh, a chosen, his he 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 has all the chosen. They all have a magical power each, and it's all different. And his um, is a really nice one actually. He can heal any wound, he can fix any injury, he can bring someone back from the point of death um, that's been hurt. Um, the only problem is, is a complete psychopath. <laughs> Um, and he really enjoys torturing people. So he'll torture them to the point of, you know, it's almost uh, almost all over, and, and then he'll heal them and start all over again. Um, and, and he was a lot of fun to write, actually. I can imagine, yeah, re- reading his his character arc, I can, I can imagine <laughs> you're just like, what else can I do with this character? Uh, uh, can you, uh, I guess, dive a little deeper into your inspirations behind um, – not only We Are the Dead, but behind the series that you're going to write with The Last War. Yeah, well, again, it is, it's really influenced by World War II. So um, I would say We Are Dead is the occupation of France by the Germans. Um, the A Fool's Hope is very much, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the, like, kind of like the Battle of Britain. The, 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 it goes on to a different country. Um, overseas and they're trying to prepare for an enemy that they think could invade at any point. Um, and then the third book is, without spoiling things too much, is probably the, the D-Day landings and the ultimate fight back. So that, that that's really been the influence for the whole arc. That ruined everything. Um, and really, again, it's just these ordinary people. There, there was a a brilliant poem written in World War One um, called In Flanders Fields, which again in that references We Are the Dead as well. Um, and, and really, it was all just about ordinary people that have just been called to fight and have died and the torch gets passed on to the next in line. And and that is the, the grim reality of these things. It's just ordinary people that get thrown into these awful situations and have to deal with it as best they can. 
Um, and that's where the real heroes come from. You know, they're, they're not the people charging in on the white horse. It's the people, the, your next door neighbours, your friends and your family that have to stand up when the time comes and, you know, deal with it. I got gotcha. Um Okay, so we've got a Fool's Hope coming up uh, this year. Um, and I know that you've been kind of teasing about having a having a being able to see the cover and everything. And of course, you know, we're all excited about that. Um, and I know it comes out on November 12th, which oddly enough, I saw on Amazon, there was like a hardcover pre-order that releases on like in like July, which I thought was really odd. But okay, Galantz, well, yeah, Galantz maybe knows something I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I need to speak something about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, oh, it's coming out a lot earlier than I thought it was. <laughs> Yeah, well, actually, it's going to be coming out in October. October, okay. October. I mean, there's just dates all over the place. <laughs> well, to be honest, we all did change dates about three or four times. Okay. Um, you know, it, it just depends on what, what else is coming out and things like that, but it's going yeah. to be out in October. Okay. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, it is – it's My Empire Strikes Back. I mean, it's um, – so you already got me. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I, I feel a bit bad because, I, I, you know, everyone keeps going about how I put all the characters through the ringer in uh, book one and book two's tough. You know, it's I've, I've been joking with a few people that it's the musical version and it's all tea and cake and everything will be fine, but it's not, no. I mean, I, I, I shed a tear or two at the end, I have to confess. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's quite, it's quite an emotional ride. Yeah. Um, so just kind of before I ask you to kind of maybe give us some details about it. So I'm kind of interested that you said that it's actually gonna be out a little earlier because, you know, with this whole COVID situation, I've seen a lot of public, uh, you know, books, pub days being pushed like a month or more. So I guess I'm, I'm a little surprised that yours maybe got pulled in. Well, look, uh, the, the world we live in, everything's changing day by day, second by second. <laughs> um and everything else and and who knows how long or how quick this whole awful situation will be over I um I, I think that and again the, all we can do is carry on our our day-to-days as best we can um all the people at glance who are amazing um are all still working from home um so i got the cover today through which is just amazing and i, and I feel so lucky and to have it is just incredible. It's really, I, I love the first cover, but the second one is just a whole new level of awesomeness. Um, and, um, you know, everyone's carrying on as best they can and we'll be ready. And whether it launches as ebook and audio first or just ebook because they can't record the audio book, I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but at the moment, everyone's planning on it still going ahead as normal. Okay. Can, can I just say how uh, how great it was to hear you say the word awesomeness? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. So. Yeah, I'm a writer. I have a way with words. <laughs> you, have, you have quite the vocabulary. Let me tell you. Um, so I know a lot of people listening probably haven't had a chance to read We Are the Dead, but maybe for the. The, 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 the fools, they should. They should. <laughs> I know. Really? Um but maybe, you know, for the ones of us that have, and I mean, especially me and Nils, because, you know, we, we both read it about the same time and both gushed over it. Can you, um, can you give us a little bit of a glimpse into book two? I mean, I know you said it's your Empire Strikes Back, but 
Um, I guess maybe without spoiling anything, can you tell us kind of what we could expect? Well, Nils is in book two. So what? Nils is another reviewer for anyone listening who doesn't know who's just amazing um, and a great person. And I named a character after her in book two. Wow. I, I had to let her know because <laughs> does she know? No, no, she knows. She knows. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, Dad, go. That's um, awesome. <laughs> Yeah, like, like, like the reality with, with We Are the Dead, it, it's, it takes place over seven days and it's very fast paced and you don't know who's going to live or who's going to die. Um, and that really carries on through um, book two. Um, and book two only takes place over five days. So again, it, it's very compressed time period and you know, there are no favourites. There's no, you know, just because some, you think someone's the hero or your favourite, there aren't any promises um, for what happens. Um, and and, and, uh, and there's some some surprises as well. There are going to be a few faces that pop up that will really throw people as well, um, hopefully in a good way. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just it's, it's more of the same but ramped up um there, there's a lot more magic in it there's um you know super powered battles and giant monsters and death destruction mayhem and all that good fun stuff that we all love um, yeah that sounds about right yeah <laughs> i mean as long as it's not tea and cakes i mean come on <laughs> you gotta stay with the darkness <laughs> and, and uh, you know they they well again, i can't really ruin we are the dead but the um the bad guys get badder, you know. They, okay. They don't like what happened at the end of book one, and <laughs> they want to do something about it. Um, so they're it's not just one chosen who's turning up in this. There's a little squad of them. Um, okay. All right. Else. All right. So yeah. That that'll do for now. That'll do for now, Mike. Um, okay. <laughs> all right. So, uh, so besides, you know, your daily comic strips detailing quarantine life with your family, what are you working on now? Well, uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's it's really funny. I, I, uh, and again, uh, I've started drawing these um, just a daily cartoon of of life while we go through this awful period of, you know. COVID-19 and all this kind of stuff. Just, and it was just a way of me trying to smile in an awful situation. And mm. I'm, I'm very lucky. I've got two crazy kids that I love dearly who, you know, they understand something's going on, but they don't really understand too much. So there's this nice juxtaposition of the chaos of having them around 24-7 and their little worlds and everything else that's going on as well. Mm. Uh, and that's really just been my way of having a, a bit of, um, pressure release and a way of re relaxing without getting um, too caught up in it. I, I found writing actually a bit difficult to start off with just because the world around me seemed so dark and I needed lightness to find, um, to escape from. That's where the, the humour and the comics came from. Um, but I, I'm working on book three, um, as yet untitled in the Last War trilogy. Um, where things really, really come to a head. Okay. And will good win or will evil vanquish everyone around it? Who knows? Do you even know? <laughs> no, actually, I, I do. I know, uh, 
I know, I, I, and I knew exactly um, what was going to happen to everyone, um, more or less, right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I, I'm hopefully if I can pull it off, the arcs of all the main characters will um, really bring a sense of fulfilment to people that have been along on the adventure. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about the book and where it's going. But, you know, in, in book two, there's a, a new character popped up who didn't, he wasn't in it until I'd actually finished the book. Um, and, and then he was a, a minor character at the end of book one who appears on one page. Um, and, and then he kind of just demanded to have his story told. And, and now he's a major, major figure in all of it. Um, so there's some plenty of new faces as well to keep uh, the interest going. Okay, fantastic. Um, <clears throat> so, with uh, you know some of the added time, I guess you you've had uh, at home and so forth. Have you uh, have you been able to read lately? Have you have you read anything that uh, I guess you would recommend to the audience or anything that's blown your mind that ever, you're, you're shouting from the rooftops? I mean, if you could go outside. <laughs> um, and this one, my mind goes completely blank on what I've been reading. No, I, I, to be honest, I went back and reread. Um, the painted man just again because I, I wanted just something to um so sort of cl- cleanse my mind of everything and it, it was a bit more of a comfort read um but um i'm trying to look through my audible things I, i've been reading uh anna smith sparks books which are obviously amazing i love them peter mclean i love um the gutter prayer i loved i've got the second one of that lined up to read um i blood of an exile i re- recently finished which i thought was just incredible um and black hawks i, I loved I, I think there's just this kind of like 10 years ago there was this renaissance fancy books and you had abercrombie and peter brett and scott lynch and patrick rothfuss and brent weeks all coming out and I, I think we're going through this second phase now where they're just this incredible group of writers um you know, they're just incredible. I love Ed McDonald's books. I think they're just fantastic. And, you know, listening to them on audio with Colin Mace, I think are in, in, just take you into a completely new world, which is fantastic. And Smith Spark, I think, is a, a genius. And I, I just know I can't write when I read her stuff. Um, you know, there's certain Peter McLean's I, I, I just love as well. So they're just all these great, great authors that are just doing fantastic stuff. Um, I just feel honoured to, to be amongst them. Um, I got sent a copy of a book called Stormblood by Jeremy Saul mm-hmm. that's coming out um, in the summer from Glance. And that's what I've read of that so far. It's uh, cyberpunk, sci-fi, crazy thing. <laughs> uh, um, uh, no, but it's just brilliant. It's just raw imagination on steroids. It's just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's funny because uh, un- until you got to like David Rag and Ed McDonald and Jerry Zoll, I was going to be like, you've been listening to my podcast, haven't you? Because <laughs> like every book, well, I was well, like, well, oh yeah, I've had them on my podcast. <laughs> well, that's one you would get on. We've got the same taste. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> but, but again, uh, and I think we're really lucky, you know, podcasts yeah. like this are just fantastic opportunities to hear your favorite authors speak and talk about stuff. You know, it's, yeah. um, there's some amazing books out there at the moment and we're really lucky to have them. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then uh, and the Black, uh, Blackhawks by David Rag, uh, he's he's definitely one I need to reach out to because I really enjoyed that one. And Ed McDonald's another one. Yeah, his Raven Raven's Mark trilogy is absolutely phenomenal. It's completely different than anything I've ever read. Um, I, you know, I was talking to Anna the other day, you know, just about her her literary prose, and you know, Ed has kind of in this is in a similar vein as far as his writing style and his prose as well. Um, and I just think Colin Mace lends his voice so well to that prose. And you'll be happy to know that if you don't finish Jeremy's book, uh, Stormblood, Colin Mace is also narrating that one. So Mace is everywhere. <laughs> well, I, I, and it's really funny because I, I, I love the way he, he reads. Mm-hmm. And um, that was part of me was just like, you know, my next book, I, I almost want to write something that he'd be right for uh, <laughs> j- just so he could do one of my books because he, he's just incredible. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I don't I don't think he would be right for it. For it so. <laughs> I gotcha. Yeah, actually, just uh, so I'm reading, uh, let's see, Ranger of Marzana by uh, John Scovran. Uh, I did start a little bit on Stormblood because uh, Golans did send me a, an e-arc of it. What else am I reading? Uh reading Along the Razor's Edge by Rob Hayes and The Kingdom of Liars by Nick Martell. I'm reading like six or seven books right now because I've got podcasts coming up with all these people in the next two weeks. <laughs> so like, I've got to get, I've got to get in this, but I just finished. Um, it's a kind of like a weird conspiracy thriller by Jeremy Robert Johnson called The Loop. It comes out in September. Uh, Saga said that it's like Stranger Things meets World War Z. Um, <laughs> Which it kind of does. Um, okay. Maybe like a little bit of like Stephen King's cell mixed in there. Um, it was really good though. It's it's kind of one of those that like hooks you and it's really fast paced so you can read it really quickly. Um, but yeah, it's just been, it's been kind of a whirlwind as far as books coming out. I just feel like it never stops. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw you had, uh, is it Django Rexler? Yeah. Django Rexler. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, what, Ashes of the Sun. Yeah. I mean, I, I just love that for the cover. Yeah, oh my you, gosh, you know, right? I, I, the, the cover is just incredible. It really um, is, yeah. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. I, I need to work on getting free books from people. <laughs> um, I'm not getting sent too many. I have to buy them. Uh, but again, Nick Martell's Kingdom of Lies is a fantastic, fantastic book. Um, and everyone should go and buy that. I, I think it's incredible fantasy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm finding it, it great so far, and yeah, Django's will probably be next after this after this slew of novels because I think I'm actually mostly caught up with everybody except for maybe John Gwynn because I have him I think coming out on the end of this month, mm-hmm. um, and I've got to read A Time of Courage, but also I haven't read Faithful in the Fallen, which everybody keeps getting mad at me about, and John may actually have a word with me on the podcast about, it. but yeah, Ashes of the Sun will probably be pretty soon because. I don't know. I, I guess I don't have enough giant fantasy epics in my life that I need to <laughs> add one more. So, <laughs> um, all right. So last question I've got for you. What is a one bit of advice you would give to aspiring writers? Oh, oh, I think all advice. Well, I was going to say all advice is rubbish. It is. Uh, <laughs> no, and, and again, I, I think you, you got to write because you want to write and tell stories. It's a, it takes up a huge amount of your time and it, you know, just to write a book is almost an impossible thing in itself. Mm-hmm. So you got, you can't do it because you want to get rich and famous or, or anything like that. You have to do it just because you want to tell stories. 
and and you've got to have those stories burning away inside you that they interrupt every you, your mind when you want to be doing other things because they want to be told um and i, I think then you just need to find the time where and whether you're writing 200 words a day or 500 words a day or a thousand words a day you just got to sit down and, and write and, and do it yeah yeah that's uh, that's kind of the advice i'd, I'd been given by a few others just because you know, I've tried my hand at it a few times and I think I just get discouraged too easily and I don't allow myself more time to really find my voice in my writing. I, I just kind of, I write a little bit and I go, that's rubbish and just toss it and go to the next thing. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, the, the way I, I've always described it, it's like if, if, if you take up running, you don't say I'm going to run a marathon tomorrow. You're going to say, well, tomorrow I'm going to, run to the end of the street you know and if i do that that's success and then hopefully the day after that i'm going to run a little bit further and the more you do it the more you enjoy doing it and the easier it gets um and writings like that i failed completely with the first books i tried writing because i was trying to write too much each day i was trying to you know a thousand words when you've never written before is really difficult right um, and you're trying to work out what to do. And I think if you just set a small target, whether it's 200 words or 500 words, and that's a half hour or an hour of your time, and you can do that in your lunch break if you want, um, you're still going to have a book within six months or a year. Yeah. Um, and that's achievable. Um, and then you, you just build up there, and you've got to accept that what you write is not going to be good to start <laughs> off with. And, but you've got to get the story out and then work out what it's all about. Yeah, um, and I, I, that fear never goes away. I mean, I'm you know I'm writing a book at the moment, and I keep staring at it, going, "This is rubbish. This is terrible." And and I think that's what pushes you to be better. I think if you sit there tapping away, going, "I'm a genius, and this is poetry, and you know I'm going to be a millionaire," you, you're never going to make it. And the book, I can almost guarantee, will be terrible. <laughs> But it's that person that's sitting there going, I, I need this to be better, I need to be better, and pushes themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where success comes from. It's that uh, Ed McDonald, again, he, he described it as climbing a mountain. You know, you have your goal, and it's this massive mountain, and, and you claw your way up there, and you celebrate achieving that. And then you look and you realize there's another mountain Um that's even bigger and you've got to crawl your way up that and you just got to keep going. And that desire to tell stories, to find that mountain is what gets you there in the end. Yeah. Okay. Just, just first of all, <laughs> if I could give you a standing ovation via podcast, I would, but uh, no, I think that's a phenomenal answer. I, I completely agree with everything you said. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's one of those things oh, no, where you give, can't give Ed, give Ed the credit for that. <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give him a shout out via, via, via a tag on Twitter. How about that? Because <laughs> um, he'll probably be mad at me because I haven't asked him to do my podcast yet. But, um, but yeah, uh, man, um, Mike, it has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you tonight. Um, and I appreciate you moving up our, our time a little bit. and uh, and But also just for sitting here and talking with me for almost an hour and – somehow finagling the ability to get 
chapter one on audiobook, which I don't think has been listened to by anybody yet. Uh, and it's going to be available after, at the end of this episode for anybody that wants to listen in and check out We Are the Dead. And um, yeah, the, 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 the audio book, you know, and again, it, it's these fantastic things that happen. It, it's read by um, an amazing woman called Nicola Bryant, who was is probably most famous for being one of Doctor Who's assistants. Um, and I was just so thrilled with um, her performance and the, w- the way she read it and everything else. And I, I, what I love about audio, when you listen to your own audio book, it, it's the nearest you can get to enjoying the story um, as a normal person because you're not seeing the words and seeing what's wrong with the words. You, you can just listen to the voice and be taken along with it. And I, I love the characters that she did. Um, and I've got to give her a shout out because she's amazing. Fantastic. So guys, uh, you can find Mike on Twitter at Mike Shackle. Uh, same on Instagram. On Facebook, you can find him at Mike.Shackle.7. And uh, you can find his website at mashackle.com. And like I said, We Are the Dead is currently available in ebook everywhere. And it's on special discount for who knows how long in the U.S. It's currently $4.99. But if you want it in a paperback, it comes out on May 5th. And then we'll obviously be looking out for A Fool's Hope coming in October. And, man, Mike, thank you so much for coming on. And thank you so much for all you do for my podcast. I know uh, I know you've been listening in since <laughs> no, day thank, one. Thank it's been you. great. So. I, I love your podcast and you do a brilliant job. And you get all my favorite authors on it. And uh, everyone should be listening to your podcast. It's <laughs> thank you so much. Well, uh, you know, I'll just, I'll just have you be my spokesperson now. So you can just tell everybody. And then this is just going to be geared towards you since it's all your favorite authors. So. <laughs> Fantastic. Excellent. Thank you. Well, awesome. Well, uh, well, thanks again for coming on and, uh, and maybe we can do this again. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how June and July go before uh, I start making any promises. <laughs> yeah. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Uh, you do the same. Just... Thank you. All right. All right. For those of you who haven't had the opportunity to read We Are the Dead, stay tuned for a clip from the audiobook presented by Golantz and read for you by Nicola Bryant. I hope you enjoy it. We Are the Dead by Mike Shackle, read by Nicola Bryant. The Prayer of the Shulker We are the dead who serve all who live. We are the dead who fight. We are the dead who guard tomorrow. We are the dead who protect our land, our monarch, our clan. We are the dead who stand in the light. We are the dead who face the night. We are the dead whom evil fears. We are the Shulker, and we are the dead. 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 We are Shulker, and we are the dead. Chapter One Tinstra The Cortege Tinstra held the knife in her shaking hand. It was a small blade, easily stolen from the armory, made of the best risen steel and razor sharp. Perfect for what she needed to do. Perfect for her little wrist, her small vein. She sat in her room at the cottage. It wasn't much, barely enough space for the single cot she was sitting on, a small writing table and chair by the window, and a fireplace 
stacked with wood despite the summer heat. She told herself it was the temperature that made the perspiration run down her back. But that was a lie. It was the fear. It was the fear that made her hands shake. It was the fear that made suicide her only option, her only way out. The irony wasn't lost on her. The girl afraid to die was about to kill herself. It was quiet outside. The evening meal was over, and most students would be studying or catching up on much-needed sleep. On a normal night, that's what Tenstra would be doing as well. But this wasn't a normal night. When Tenstra arrived at the cortege three years earlier, she'd never expected things would end this way. After all, boys and girls from only the best Shulka families were brought there from the age of 16 to be trained. And Tinstra came from the best family of all. Her father and mother and her three brothers had all graduated with its highest honours and gone on to distinguished military careers. No one had thought Tinstra would be any different. No one had thought she was a coward. Now there was no escape from the truth. No more pretense. She looked down at her forearm. She knew where to cut. The cortege had taught her that. Knowledge of human anatomy made better killers. Straight from the top of her forearm down to her wrist. It would hurt a little, but not for long. She'd pass out from blood loss before the pain got too bad. A bell chimed the hour. There was no more time. They would be coming for her. She tightened her grip on the knife and tried to steady her hand. The letter to her father lay on the table, apologizing, begging his forgiveness. He was on his way to Gundan in the north with the rest of her clan to fight the Egril. Maybe he was already there. By the time he learned of her death, Tinstra would be nothing but ashes. She knew it would break his heart, but better that than disgrace his name. No father should have me for a daughter. A sob racked her shoulders as she pressed the knife against her skin. Not yet. Soon. If only she wasn't so scared. She didn't want to die. There just wasn't another way out. Not one that she could see. Her heart pounded. Sweat stung her eyes and she did her best to blink it away concentrating on trying to hold her trembling hand still. It would hurt more if she wasn't precise and take longer to bleed out. She didn't want that. It had to be quick, painless, over. The knife was cold against her skin, its edge sharp. All she had to do was push down and the blade would do its work, end it all. Just push and cut. And yet, she couldn't make her hand do anything. Her stomach lurched. Bile rose, burning her throat. She swallowed it back down, cursing her weakness. She had to do this. It was all she had left, her only path. She couldn't fail, not at this too. The rap on the door made her jump. 
Cadet Tenstra, it's time. A man's voice. Not one she recognized. One of the general's guards. She didn't reply. Hope fluttered for a moment that he might think her gone and leave her to do what she had to do. He knocked again. Come on, the old man's waiting. There was no time to cut her wrist now. She moved the knife to her heart, placed the tip against her breast. Death would be instantaneous. There would be no saving her, no last-minute dash to the infirmary. Not even if the shulker kicked her door down. She closed her eyes, took another breath. <sighs> Time to die. The guard knocked again. Open the door, cadet. She gripped the knife with both hands, but the shakes only got worse. Tears ran down her face. She couldn't do it. She had to do it. Just push. By the four gods, push. End it all, you stupid fucking coward. The guard banged on the door. Stop pissing about. I won't ask again. Tinstra dropped the knife. It clattered on the stone floor. I'm coming. She rolled down her sleeve, wiped her eyes and put on her cadet's tunic. Dark black with silver buttons, all done up as per regulations and brushed down. At least she looked smart, if nothing else. She might be the worst cadet, but she knew how to dress. There was no hiding the fact she'd been crying, though. She sighed, unlocked the door, opened it. The general's guard stood in the doorway, looking as if he were one second away from putting his boot through the door. His breastplate was buffed so bright she could see her red, sore eyes gazing back. His helmet, with the blue plume running down the centre, identified him as Clan Mizu, not her father's clan, not her clan. She didn't know if that was a good thing or not. Come on, you're late. Tinstra didn't move. She was too scared even to do that. In the end, he reached in, grabbed her arm and dragged her out. He got her moving down the corridor with a shove and a grunt of disgust. Tinstra knew how he felt. She felt disgusted too. She thought of that small, perfect knife lying on her bedroom floor and wished she'd had the courage to use it. Too late now. Another chance gone. They walked to the main stairs and went down, passing cadets returning to their rooms. She avoided all eye contact but knew they watched her, could hear the whispers. They all knew. Everyone knew. The general's office was in the east wing. One long walk of shame. Tinstra's cheeks burned the whole way, her legs so unsteady she was sure she was going to fall. They passed through the central atrium with its long windows overlooking the parade ground. During the day, there would be at least one company of cadets in full battle armor out there, practicing the Shulker's legendary phalanx formation. Shields interlocked to form an impregnable wall, six-foot spears bristling outwards in a deadly hedge. They would move as one, forward, always forward. Two steps, thrust, two steps, Thrust, organized, efficient, deadly. There was a reason why, for 700 years, no enemy had ever defeated the Shulka in battle. They were trained to be invincible. 
the best of the best. The bravest of the brave. No wonder Tinstra didn't fit in. But am I wrong? Just because I don't want to die in some stupid battle? My life has got to be worth something. She glanced back at the guard. Why didn't he have the same fears? She knew the Shulka prayer, the vow they all took. It made no sense to her. We are the dead, indeed. Well, I'm not. I want to live. No wonder she couldn't kill herself. Two guards in full armor stood sentry outside the general's office, sword on hip, spear in hand, eyes straight ahead. The door opened. Now there was no escape. Go on, said her guard. Best get it done. She looked up at him, saw the sadness in his eyes. Maybe he had a daughter of his own, probably praying she'd not turn out like Tinstra. It was a Shulka's worst fear as a parent, to have a coward for a child. She entered the general's office, wanting to be sick, struggling to breathe. General Harker sat behind his desk, hands crossed. He was alone, thank the four gods. He watched her enter, saw her flinch when the door shut behind her. There was no smile, no greeting, no acknowledgement that she'd known him all her life. In that room, he wasn't her father's closest friend. He wasn't her godfather. He was the commanding officer of the cortege, and he scared the life out of her. His hair was tied back into a queue and folded into a topknot, as was the style for Shulka, accentuating his sharp cheekbones. A candle burned on his desk, yet the light didn't find his face. Only his eyes glittered, but it was as if he were looking straight through her. His office was simple. A banner hung on one wall, green with a sigil of the cross spears of his clan, Inneren. His sword hung from a hook on the other wall, designed to be wielded single-handed. The blade was some thirty inches in length, double-edged, but best used to thrust at close range. A shulker's spear was his or her primary weapon. A sword was for the wet work done when you looked someone in the eye. In the madness that came after a phalanx had crushed the life out of their enemies, and only the mopping up remained. Harker's helmet, gold, to denote his rank of general, with a green plume for his clan, sat on the table. There was a map underneath the helmet, old, used, battle-worn. Jaya took up most of the southern part of the continent, but to the north lay Egril, their old enemy. Only the fortress at Gundan separated us from them. She thought she could see bloodstains on it, covering part of the barbarians' territory. Fitting, really. There were no other landmarks. The Egril didn't welcome visitors or ambassadors. The Egril didn't care for trade. They only wanted what could be stolen. They only liked to kill. A thousand years ago, when they still had all the magic of the world, the giants had built the fortress across the pass at Gundan, stopping the Egril raids with 30-foot-high walls and leaving them to kill each other instead. 
Tinstra came to attention in front of Harker's desk, eyes straight ahead, gaze skimming the top of his head, looking at nothing. At least she could do that well. He didn't tell her to sit or stand at ease. Nothing to make her comfortable. She didn't even deserve that. He shuffled some papers on his desk, though he didn't need to read her report. He knew already. Everyone knew. Cadet Tinstra of Clan Rison. Yes, sir. She squeaked the words out and prayed for the strength to hear what the general had to say. The first shulker came from Clan Ryzen, said the general, created to protect Jaya once magic was lost from the land. Yes, sir. Her father had told her all the stories, all the myths from the moment she was born, of magic lost, of how gods became men before becoming warriors. Today, magic only existed in the hands of a few mages, who were as rare as snow on a summer's day. That's why the Shulka were needed. A proud house, with a proud tradition, the general continued. Yes, sir. They were the king's favourites, the ones always called first to battle. Many, myself included, consider your father to be the finest living Shulka in the world today. Yes, sir. He was a legend, worshipped by all. People's eyes lit up when they heard Grim Dagon's name. Songs were sung of his exploits. Children pretended to be him when they played Shulka with wooden swords. Her father was everyone's hero. Your brothers all graduated from the cottage with the highest honours. Yes, sir. They were perfection. Hard enough having a famous father, let alone trying to follow in her brother's footsteps. Sometimes Tinstra questioned how she could be related to Beris, Jonas, or Soman. They were so like their father and mother, and so unlike her in every way. So, you can imagine how embarrassing that makes this situation for all of us. He paused, shuffled some more paper. For me. Yes, sir. Tinstra knew what was going to happen. Get it over with. Just say the words, please. The knife waited. She could still save her father from the shame. Harker chewed on his lip as if he didn't like the taste of what he had to say. Tinstra couldn't blame him. It's normal to be scared. Everyone is. It makes us human. But the training here at the cortege is supposed to help you move past that fear. Yes, sir. Technically, you are one of our best cadets, with a sword at Shulikan. He pinched the bridge of his nose. But mastering the moves is of no use if you're too scared to fight a real opponent. Yes, sir. By the four gods, did she know that only too well. She had been taught the fighting stances by Grim Dagon himself. It was just a shame he couldn't give her his courage as well as his skill. Would her father have dedicated all those hours to her if he'd known she was a coward? Harker looked at her, eyes full of disapproval. As used to that look as she was, it still hurt. She knew she could say more, explain herself, 
But she didn't have the courage even for that. Do you want to tell me what happened? The air caught in Tinstra's throat. Harker had been there, had seen what she'd done. Everyone had. She didn't want to talk about it. Well? Uh, the men, we were fighting. I saw the look in their eyes, the swords in their hands. I knew. I knew they wanted to kill me, and I got scared. I didn't want to be hurt or die, and I knew if I stayed there, if I fought... She faltered as tears sprang to her eyes. It was different from being in training, from any practice bout I'd ever fought. I know I should have done better, been stronger. I know I should have believed in myself, but I... You ran. Yes, sir. You abandoned your comrades and put their lives at risk. Yes, sir. Tinstra felt sick. Talking about it brought it all back. The sand, the blood, the cries, the dead. She prayed Harker would say no more. But like so many of her prayers, it went unanswered. Harker sighed. We don't put students in the arena because we enjoy it, or for entertainment. We do it out of necessity. We have enemies to the north who would see us dead or enslaved said Harker. The arena is the closest we can come to recreating the realities of war. To show what it is like to put your life on the line for your comrades, your clan, and your country. Tinstra nodded. She'd experienced that sensation well enough. The Egril have always hated us. Generations ago, they loathed us for our magic. They thought we were like gods. And this they could not allow. But back then, we were able to build cities with a wave of our hands, fly through the air like birds, light a fire with the click of our fingers, fill our tables with food with just a thought, and we batted them away like irritating flies. Harker paused for a moment, watching Tinstra for a reaction. That hatred didn't disappear once magic left these lands. Now it's the responsibility of the Shulka, drawn from the noblest families, to defend all giants and keep our land free. Those men and women who stand on Gundan's walls have stopped death and destruction raining down on us for generations. Yes, sir. It was bad enough when we fought random tribes. But this new Egril Emperor, Raku, has done the impossible and unified them all. Right now, camped one mile from Gundan, is the largest army we've ever faced. Reports put the numbers at tens of thousands. Tinstra choked. But that's impossible. No, no, I'm afraid it's not. The Eagle are rattling their clubs, promising to kill us all. Your father is on his way there now, with the whole of your clan, to join Clan Husker. Ten thousand Shulker to face perhaps five times that number. Every single man and woman at Gundan must do their part. 
We can't have anyone run away when the time comes to fight. Tinstra remained silent. She could only think of her father, her mother, her brothers facing thousands of Egril. They will win. They have to. The Shulka always win. But she wanted to cry. She wanted to be sick. She wanted to run and hide. Hide until it was all over. And they returned safe and sound. Harker moved the papers around. Out of respect for your father and your family, and as your godfather, I'm willing to give you one more chance. Against the wishes of the other teachers, I must admit. As long as you can assure me that you'll deal with your weakness. Are you able to promise me this incident won't happen again? Tinstra stopped breathing. All she had to do was say, Yes, sir. Tell a small lie. But she knew it would only buy her respite for a short period. Then she'd be here again. Truth was, the fear had always been there, bubbling away. She had hidden it well, almost convincing herself it didn't exist. But there had been no hiding that day. Not from herself, or from the hundreds of spectators gathered to observe. She dropped her spear and shield and run for her life, breaking the phalanx, putting her friends' lives at risk, all because she didn't want to die. Better she got it over with, put an end to all their misery. She would never be what they wanted her to be, what she'd been born to be. No, sir. He looked up, shook his head, looked down again. Found a piece of paper, picked up a quill, dipped it in ink and signed his name across the bottom. He blew on the ink, placed the paper back on his desk, looked at it once more, then back at her. Cadet Tinstra of Clan Rison, by the powers invested in me, I'm expelling you from the cortege. There is a supply wagon leaving for Azair in the morning. You can make your own way from there to your family home at Gambril. Your clan will no doubt take matters further. What will they do? asked Tinstra. A single tear ran down her cheek. You'll be disowned, replied Harker. Only Shulker may be part of a clan. You are not, and never will be, one of us now. What will I be? Nothing. Harker's voice was cold as death. He held out the paper. Dismissed. Tinstra stared at him, stared at the paper in his hand. If she took it, her life was over. All she had left was the knife in her room. But even that was a lie. She knew she didn't have the courage to kill herself. Tinstra said Harker, his tone softening. His duty done, he was her godfather once more. Take the paper. It's for the best. It might not feel like it now, but one day, you'll look back and see this was the moment you were set free. Free? You can do whatever you want now. 
not what your father dictates or what your clan expects. You have a role to play in this world. Take this opportunity to find out what it is. Start living your life. Tinstra took the paper. Thank you, sir. She went to salute. Realized she didn't have to anymore, and so smiled awkwardly instead and sniffed back another tear. Good luck. Outside the office, she stopped in the hallway, suddenly lost in a place that had been her home for three years. She didn't know what she felt. Confused, scared, relieved. It was done. She was out. She'd never have to pick up a sword again, or stand in a phalanx. And it was true, what Harker said. She could go anywhere. Not back to Gambrel, though. Perhaps she'd return there one day. When she knew her father, her family would be there. But not now. I can go anywhere. Where no one knows who I am. Where I can be ordinary, anonymous. I wouldn't be Grim Dagon's daughter. I'd just be me. She smiled. That was a beautiful thought. Maybe that was it. She wasn't a coward. She just wasn't a shulker. She glanced over at the guards, still like statues, emotionless warriors. That was the difference. She had feelings. She wanted experiences. She wanted to do things, make something of herself. She didn't want to be a mindless killer. The weight disappeared from her shoulders. Tinstra set off for her room, almost floating. The sooner she was gone, the better. It was time to leave all the shulker behind and get lost somewhere else. She was free. For the first time in her life, she was free. Thank the four gods. No more hiding in the shadows, not wanting to be noticed. Wherever she went next, she'd find out who she really... The world exploded. Hope you guys enjoyed my chat with We Are the Dead author Mike Shackle. I highly recommend you check out his book, We Are the Dead, because it was my number one debut last year. Uh, read as far as books go and lists go and however else you want to talk about books and lists. But yeah, um, like I said, it's $4.99 on Amazon if you want the ebook or if you have to have a physical copy, it comes out May 5th. Uh, but stay tuned because I've got three more podcasts this week. Uh, I've got John Scovern, author, author of the upcoming The Ranger of Marzana, coming up on the 1st, so that'll be uh, out on the 2nd. I've got Max Berry coming on on the 2nd to talk about his new novel, Providence. That episode will be out on the 3rd. And then I've got Rob Hayes, author of the newly published as of today, Along the Razor's Edge, which is the beginning of his new trilogy. He'll be joining me on the 4th, and that episode will be uh, up on the 5th. Um, so yeah, uh, hope you guys <laughs> like this podcast. It's going to be a lot of episodes. Um, but yeah, just thanks as always for tuning in, continue to stay safe. And, uh, yeah, if, if you guys are watching Tiger King, drop me a line on Twitter. Cause I want to know what you think. Cause, uh, yeah, it's just crazy, but, uh, but yeah, later guys.